Good morning, everybody. I, uh, I love that movie for some reason. My wife and I went to see it back when we were dating and uh, probably when we were first married. That's how, how long ago it was. And I just remember just hearing and seeing those big, chunky laptops, hearing that little ring and hearing you've got mail and remembering all of those AOL things. Uh, it always makes me kind of nostalgic for those times. Um, but I, f- I find it funny is when you see that particular clip where Tom Hanks is just, yeah, the Godfather. <laughs> and Meg Ryan's like, what is it with these guys and the Godfather? Why is that? So, so and I know this looks like kind of a Godfather uh, theme series, and I know I've not been able to show a whole lot because I've had so much content that I've had to kind of shove it down your throats. And so I actually have a little bit of time here where I could share something neat about kind of uh, the Godfather and how it ties into this message. And so today we're going to hear about going to the mattresses, going to war, and really having to fight for something, Um, but it's not against someone else. We'll get to that a little bit later. So, so anyways, let's get into kind of summarizing the last few weeks. We'll go really quickly. We know that uh, Jacob means heel grabber. Uh, he wrestled with God. And so he just, uh, it, the name of God's chosen people, the name of his kingdom, it all means wrestles with God. So you can see there, all of these things, wrestles with God, wrestles with God. It's all of those things being, being the chosen people. And so our expectations is, is it's not going to always be easy. We're going to be in kind of this wrestling match because how do you understand the king of the universe when we're this little thing on this little planet, on this you know, little solar system? So you're going to struggle. You don't always have to be perfect. You can struggle with your faith. You can struggle with who you are. You can even wrestle with your identity and your identity in God. The good news is you are exactly who God wants you to be. He wants you to wrestle and to grow. And God loves you and great things are in store for you even when you wrestle. Week two, we studied who Judah was and we saw that Judah is the son of Israel He's Joseph's brother. He wanted to kill his brother Joseph. And he actually was the guy who came up with the idea for selling him into slavery. And it sounds like he was a, a hopeless case, but he wasn't. I, I didn't even throw in there. By the way, he slept with his daughter who he thought was a prostitute. That's how bad this guy is. But it's okay. He repented. He took full responsibility for his safety of his brother Benjamin He helped the people of Israel by getting them food from Egypt. He's one of the 12 tribes of Israel. The word Judah comes, uh, Judaism comes from his name. The kingdom of Judah was named after him, which is the southern kingdom, while the northern kingdom remained named after his father, Israel. And he's in the line of David and Jesus. The good news again is we all sin, we all make bad decisions. We all do things we regret. Judah, essentially a grandfather at the time, 
he repented and he changed his ways. So it doesn't matter what age you are, you can change, you can, you can become the person that God intended you to be all along. God loves you and has great things in store for you. And then last week we talked about Abram. His name was changed to Abraham. He was married to Sarai, whose name was changed to Sarah. He was the person chosen to create a covenant with God, but it was because he was not so interested in his own name, he was interested in protecting and helping others. And God saw that in him and said, you're the one I want to partner with. I'm, you're the one that you, I'm going to partner with, and we are going to save the world through your line, through your sons, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Judah, and then a whole list of people getting to King David. God promised him offspring even though his wife was barren. So you can see all of these things kind of coming together for Abraham in this partnership, covenant, partnership. You hear that over and over again. There's all of these covenants that happen in the Old Testament God wants to work with us. He's created us. He's designed us to partner with him. We just need to do it. God, as part of that covenant with Abraham, he took a lesser role. He took the role of the one that would be punished if, if Abram didn't fulfill his side of the deal, which he didn't and which God did. So from the beginning, that is how God had planned this out, is that Jesus would come and fulfill that, and we looked at that as we were taking communion, how his body was broken, just like the animals in that covenant, and his blood cleans us, and it's a new covenant for us, not just Abram. So now, we're back to talking about this week, but I want to remind you there are resources that I used throughout this entire series, and so... Never think that this has come from me directly. I'm not that smart. Um, but I know a lot of smart people that I can tap into and that I can rely on to get really, really good information that's helped change my life. So this week, I really rely a lot on, initially, the Bema Discipleship Podcast. And then, um, towards the end, it's another sermon that Dr. Tim Mackey did who is the host of the Bible Project. And so, so let's go into this week's story about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. We're leaving kind of Genesis behind, and I know I went with three stories from Genesis because we take our Old Testament for granted. We don't think that there's much there, but it really is. It gives us a look into what God is like and what he has in store for his people and so much now, we just want to hop right into Jesus right away. And I would say, I get it. Like, Jesus is saving grace and that love. But to fully understand what he's done, we have to go back and look at those Old Testament pieces. All of that stuff means something to him because that's what he's teaching. He's teaching us that stuff in the Old Testament that, believe it or not, the people of Israel, the Jewish nation, they messed it up. So we talk about translation and understanding things today. 
they didn't understand what God was trying to do back then, and Jesus came to clarify and help them understand. He didn't come to overthrow the Old Testament. He came to fulfill it. So, anyway, so as we look at this, um, of course, you know me, as I, as I look at things, I like to do Google searches and things, and I find things to study, and that's where I came across this with uh, Tim Mackey and the Bible um, um, Project, lots of YouTube videos, lots of podcasts, so, and I don't read very well either, so looking at the Bible and kind of reading through it, do you know all the punctuation that's there, really, especially when you look at the Old Testament? It's not really there. It's like written. There's no headings. There's nothing. It's, it's just written completely different than we could ever imagine, and people have to try to figure out how to interpret that so we can understand it and kind of get some sort of reading from it, but it's not, it's not the complete picture, and that's what these podcasts these YouTube videos, these things that I'm able to find now, that's what they're able to do is they're able to show me that there's so much more to these stories than just what I can read in the Bible. It's so much more. It's so much more in depth. So as we kind of turn this on to Jesus now and moving away from that Old Testament, I start to look and see so many times when we think about Jesus, we think about him this being so easy for him. And I know you've seen movies like The Last Temptation of Christ or you've seen The Passion and you know the physical pain and anguish that he goes through. But leading up to all of that, that's no walk in the park either. He left heaven, came down as a little baby to go through all the same things that we go through, the same tests, the same trials, it feels that way to him. Marty calls it the God goggles. He, it, so many people think Jesus has these God goggles on and he can see and knows exactly what's gonna happen and he's just able to, to deal with it. But he is fully human. It is God come from heaven and fully human with us and going through these same things that we do. So I think of two stories when I think about Jesus and where where his humanity kind of shows itself the most. So we're gonna start with Matthew 4, one through two, and it's the story of his temptations. And so Marty's got a great thing in Bema that talks about the baptism because the baptism happens right before he goes out in the wilderness for this temptation. And it's the story of water and spirit and again, you can trace this all the way back to the creation narrative where, uh, where God hovers over the waters. You can go back to Noah and see where God is hovering over waters and he speaks over it. All of these things tie together. It's very beautiful the way it's, it's knit together. So I said I was gonna try to stay out of the Old Testament. We'll be in there a little bit today because we're gonna see how Jesus deals with these temptations. So... Matthew 4, 1 through 2. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's kind of obvious. <laughs> if you don't eat for 40 days and 40 nights, you are going to be hungry. So Jesus is kind of doing this. I would say this is, so this is before his ministry is actually fully going. 
And so he's going out there. I would almost call this like a, a marathon runner's last long run before the marathon. It's his last work day. It's the, it's the day where football players go out with their pads and they're hitting each other as hard as they can to get ready for the season. He is getting ready because he knows he's about to be tested and it's going to be a difficult test. So Jesus is there and the devil shows up to tempt him. Remember this as well. When we talk about the wilderness, the wilderness we're talking about here is the desert. It's hot. There's, he doesn't have food. He's got to be just completely beside himself in terms of dealing with not just being hungry but also thirsty. And the devil knows this is the weakest he's going to be. So let's keep going as we look at this in, in Matthew 4, 3 through 4. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we know that the Israelites, they were also out in the wilderness. Remember that story? Moses is there with them, and they're out there not for 40 days, but they're out there for 40 years, and they're complaining about being hungry, and this is exactly what Jesus is trying to tie into here. The number 40 is, is, is there for a reason. It's there to set off some lights in our head saying, hey, this is a similar story. Jesus is going through this exodus just like the people of Israel did, so uh, the Israelites, they were in the desert for 40 years, and on the 15th day of the second month after coming out of Egypt, they said they would die of hunger, and in Egypt, they had pots of meat, so God provided them manna from heaven. They also got quail, so let's just look at, if you just go through and look at Exodus 16 to see the whole story, you can see there that God provided for them. And Jesus is kind of in the same thing, and the devil's taking him down this path to test him. So we look at Deuteronomy 8, 2, and 3. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you away from the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what's in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So you can see here that Jesus combats this piece of temptation from the, the devil with a piece of scripture. Jesus has all of this stuff in his head ready for him when something bad happens to him. What happens when something bad happens to you? Does a scripture pop into your head? I know it didn't for me. Remember this. When Jesus is tempted, it's the devil's like whispering into his ear. It's not like this human right in front of him is saying, you know, worship me, do this, do that. You can see that there's like a, angel or a devil on your shoulder 
that's trying to get you to do something. That's not how it works. How are you tempted? I know when I'm tempted, that voice of the devil or Satan, it sounds a lot like me. And it just tells me that I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm hungry. These are the things that keep going through my head over and over and over again. But Jesus is ready. He has the scripture from Deuteronomy. He knows that this test has happened before and he's prepared for it. So let's go on to the next test. Matthew 4, 5 through 6. Then the devil uh, took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Notice this right here. The devil is quoting scripture. Of course, Jesus is prepared. He's not thrown by this. If you look at the scripture, you look at Psalms uh, 91, 11 through 12, it says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that will not strike your foot against a stone. So the devil left out, left out this little part about to guard you in your ways. So this particular scripture wasn't probably so much about you falling to your death, but Satan, he's whispering in Jesus' ear, the angels will save you. Just jump. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 4, 7. Jesus says to him, it is also written, do not put your Lord God to the test. Jesus is tired, he's hungry, he's thirsty. I'll be honest with you, I went to my therapist and I talked to him about my feelings of self-harm and of suicide. And he showed me this here and I never looked at it the same. Jesus was tempted just like I was. And he combated it again with a piece of scripture. And he was ready. And that's what my therapist told me I needed to do as well. Jesus knows that his friends are gonna forsake him. God's going to forsake him on the cross. He knows all of these things are gonna happen. Would it just be easier to jump off this temple? He doesn't, though. He goes to Deuteronomy 6, 16, and he says, he, he knows this scripture, and it's on his heart. Do not put your Lord God to the test as you did at Messiah. Again, that's what the Israelites did. They put God to the test. Jesus knows I'm not gonna fall for that. He's prepared. He knows how to deal with this. Let's look at Matthew 4, 8 through 11. It says, again, the devil took him on a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came to attend to him. And this is a direct reference to scripture where it says in Deuteronomy 6.13, 
fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your, or take your oaths in his name. So this whole story, and this here especially, this is what so many people thought Jesus came to do. Jesus came to to be the new king, he's the new David. He's going to fight all of these people and he's going to destroy them and put them in their place and he is going to be the king we've always been looking for. That's exactly what the devil is saying to him here. And that's what everybody else is saying to him too. The Jewish nation is like, if you are the Messiah, this is what you've been prophesied to do. You're supposed to do this and Jesus knows. That's not why I'm here. Jesus, again, that was another scripture from Deuteronomy. He's going exactly where Moses was dying and was talking to the people of Israel to try to show them the things that they had done, the tests that they had failed, all the things that had gone wrong, and Jesus learned from their mistakes. And I, I like the way he did this as well as he said... Uh, he, he went to Deuteronomy 6.13, but he throws in this extra, away from me, Satan. I'm done with these temptations. I'm done listening to you. I am ready to start this ministry. And now he's ready. He has the text in his heart. He's ready to beat back Satan any way he tries to tempt him. And if we don't have that text on our heart as well, our chances of success is very little. So now, we go into Jesus' ministry, but we don't just go into Jesus' ministry, we're going to the second story that I feel like really shows Jesus' humanity. This is towards the end of his ministry. It's right before they take him to be crucified, and it's in the garden. Of course it's a garden. Jesus is scared he doesn't want to do what's about to happen. He goes to a garden. That's what God's people do when they want to find God. They end up in a garden. It happened in the Garden of Eden. It happened on a mountain at Sinai. These are the places where God's people see God at work. It's no wonder. It's beautiful. It helps you connect. So Jesus is in this garden, and he's, he's scared. And he takes his best friends with him. So let's look at this story, and we're going to start in Matthew 26, 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples, a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. So Jesus, with his best friends, goes to pray because he knows what's about to happen. They still have no clue. Why they can't see that, like if you go back to the Last Supper, you can see all the signs that Jesus was giving. They don't see it. They don't hear it. They still think what's going to happen is what Satan said to Jesus in that last temptation. They still think this is going to be a violent overthrow of the government. Let's go to the next scripture, Matthew 26, 37 through 38. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. 
Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here, or stay here and keep watch with me. So now he's with his best friends. Now he's with his three closest people. Like these are his people. And he's going away from the other disciples. And he's telling them, like if they can't see it now, what, what do they need to see? to see how scared Jesus is. He's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus is like becoming panicked. He's in like a panic attack state here. And he needs his friends. He needs them. He's about to go through something no human should have to go through, and he's gonna go through it for us. We look at Matthew 26 through 39. Go a little further, uh, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as my will, but as your will. So you can see Jesus has fallen on his face. You can feel his pain. In Luke, it says, he starts sweating blood. Have you ever been that scared before? <clears throat> Let's go on to verses 40 and 41. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So you can hear, Jesus is obviously not happy with his friends right now. He needs their help. He needs words of encouragement. He needs to be hugged. He needs somebody to stand with him and not just fall asleep. But he sees something here. He can see how weak this flesh is. He can see what it's doing to them, even though they've been with him all these years now, right? We're like at the end, this is like a three-year ministry. He's been with these guys all this time, and they're still falling asleep and not seeing what's going on in front of them. Let's go on to verse 42. He went away a second time, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink, of, I drink it, may your will be done. Now notice the subtle difference between his last prayer and this prayer. This time, he sees how weak his friends are. They need him to do this. He goes from asking, Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, and this time he's like, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken from me. It's like you can see Jesus sees their need. His friends, they need him to do this. He knows this is what he has to do. Let's go on to verse 43 through 46. 
When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. He returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hours come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So, yeah, that time he goes over there and he's like, you know what, I'm just going to go back over here. I'm going to pray again. And then when he prays again and he comes back, they're still sleeping. But he knows the time has come and that he has to kind of snap out of this. He has to stand up for them because they can't stand up for themselves. He sees just how weak they are and how strong he has to be. He's trying to teach them something here, but they are just too tired and they don't want it. So we look at verse 47. While he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of all the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal for them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrest him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. So this is Peter. We know this from other stories that talk about this. You can see right here, they still think violent overthrow of the government. He's going to take over. He's going to become the king. And Jesus has to tell him, no. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call my father and he will at once at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings from the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So now his friends just leave him. They're confused. They, still, they thought this is how it's supposed to happen. They come, we fight, and you become the king. That's not the kingdom Jesus is putting in place. <clears throat> Jesus heals that man who lost his ear, and he tells Peter to get behind him, Satan. Jesus is going into this in a panic, but you can see as he saw his friends in their weakness, he became strong. He, this entire time, is fighting his own flesh. His flesh is as weak as theirs. And he had to fight through all of those feelings about all the things he didn't want to do. I'm sure he flashed back to that time in the desert, and he's like, I showed you how 
strong I am and how much I love you, Lord. Please take this away from me. But he knows he has to do this. Jesus gets through this panic. We really see it here. This is his humanity showing. Even though he doesn't want to do this, he knows he has to. God has ordained this to happen. So many times in my life, I just cave. I don't fight for it. God has given me things to do, and I've turned my back on them, just like Jesus' friends did to him. This is why it's so important to get the scripture on our hearts so that we know how, when times of trouble are near, we know how to draw near to God and how to draw near to Jesus and not run away from him. God has a great reward in store for us, and he loves us no matter what we do, but he's giving us stuff to do today, and we need to listen and we need to fight our fleshly urges to just crawl under our blankets and hide. Anxiety, discomfort, God wants none of this for us. And unless we come to terms and grips with this, we will be too afraid to do anything. But we found from the temptations of, of Jesus that if we have the scriptures on our heart, we can combat all of that. That being said, I'm not trying to say if you're dealing with anxiety and depression, I'm not saying don't go to a counselor. I went to a counselor. I needed to talk to that counselor. Our counselor has spoke here. Jeremiah Wright, he was my counselor. And he gave me a perspective I could never have. Don't be afraid. We hear that over and over again, especially angels that come in. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So we're going to struggle. We've been talking about struggling, Jacob. We've been talking about repentance. We've been talking about partnership. Well, when those things happen, you're going to have to fight to do what God wants you to do at times. Why, I've been saying the past few weeks, why is this good news? This doesn't always feel like good news. It's like Jesus kind of summarized these sorts of things. Jesus was tempted just like you and I. He was prepared for his temptations. Are you? You can be. Jesus was in a panic at his arrest. He knew the pain he was about to encounter but he also knew how to prepare for those things. Jesus' friends, they turned their backs on him. He couldn't feel the presence of God at times. When he was crucified, he asked, why did God forsake him? He was in unbelievable physical pain, and still God was not able to go down and just pull him off that cross. He had to finish this on his own. So, when you're ready and have agreed to partner with God, he will ask you to do things. He won't force you to do them. And at times, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight your will and replace it with his. You're going to be scared. You're going to be confused. You're going to second-guess yourself. 
and you probably will fail. Not all the time, but we'll do things like Abraham did where we try to force things to happen for God and that's just gonna make it not work. We need to be in sync with God and his scriptures can help us be in sync with him. You will be rewarded, but you may not feel it right away. And that doesn't feel like great news, but it is good news because we know our Savior loved us enough to come out of heaven and take on the punishment that we deserve. Like we talked about last week, he fulfilled what Abraham was promised to take the punishment that we deserved. So now we just have to stand up, stand up with our God and partner with him the way he designed us to. It's time for us to get prepared. Next week, I'm gonna be talking about, I've talked a lot about stories, and I know this is supposed to be personal. I was a little personal in the first story. I'm gonna be a lot personal next week, and there's gonna be a little bit less stories and scriptures and things. And I'm gonna tell you some things that have happened to me where these stories have helped me change things in my life. So I just ask, please be here next week. And let's work on this together as a church family. I'm gonna call the band up as I pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us opportunity after opportunity to partner with you. You have given us every chance and sometimes we're just scared. We're like the disciples. We think something's gonna happen. You have something completely else in mind. Help us see what your will is. Help us be more attuned to it. Help us partner with you. Help us do the things that you've created us to do. Lord, it's a hard, hard ask. but we've committed our lives to you, Lord. We've buried ourselves in baptism to be raised up with you. So Lord, be with us, be with this congregation and just help us find out your will and be in tune with it and not try to force things and not to try to do things ahead of you and not to try to get things done because there was a promise that was made. We know you have the power to do this, Lord, and we don't. Help us do the things that you designed us for. Help us partner with you, Lord. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Good afternoon. Oh, excuse me. Good morning. Must be wintertime. My name is Stephen. Uh, usually I'm, I'm in the back blocking the door. Uh, big, nice looking guy that you got to run into. And, and I'm going to tell you, I do that on purpose because I want love to be poured into me as I pour love into each one of you. Because I know, and you know it too, that during the next seven days, 
everybody to make a withdrawal from us. I'm on my way to work. Somebody cut in front of me on ice. That's a withdrawal they're going to take from me. Because I think it's so important for us to go to the other side of what Pat just was saying. And the other side of that is we were created for community. Each one of us was created to connect with someone, to be there for someone, to help someone. That is the whole purpose of community, come together. See, we weren't made to walk this life, to walk this journey, to walk this step by ourselves. We need someone to walk alongside of us. We need someone to be there for us. We need someone to pour love into each and every one of us. So today I'm going to give you just a little insight of what I believe communion is. Communion is not, is much more than symbols. It's much more than crackers. It's much more than the juice. The Lord says where two or three are gathered, and I look out there, I know about math. There's more than two or three people out here. He says that he is in the midst of all of that. We're not alone in this battle. We weren't made to struggle alone. We might struggle, but you're not supposed to do it alone. We don't feel, we don't supposed to feel bad about ourselves alone. Community is what Christ created us for. So today I'm going to encourage each one of you, wherever you are in your life, your spiritual walk, consider the fact that it's no coincidence, it's no accident, it's no this just happened because things just happened. No, no way, banish that thought out of your mind. We were created to come together and be there for each other, to encourage each other. You just don't know what a kind word does to a person. You just don't know what when somebody says, you, you have a good week, means to somebody. Because in a lot of cases, in a lot of cases, in a lot of cases, it might be the last positive, rewarding thing that you hear all week long. Because in this world, we're going to be beat down. We're going to struggle. You're going to go to the store and ask somebody, can they put down something fresh for you? And they look at you like they're doing you a favor. We're in a, we're in, we are in, as, as, as Paul stated, we are in a, not only a spiritual battle, but the spiritual battle is really spiritual transformation. How do you change from an inward person thinking about nobody but yourself to a person that want to connect with people. I want us to consider that. Why are we here at this moment in our lives? Why are we here at this exact moment? Accident? It's ordained. Jesus Christ, who I say, I'm an apprentice of Jesus Christ. I'm learning the ways of Christ. See, I wasn't always saved. I used to be on the other team. And I tell you, on the other team, I was a superstar, okay? I was a superstar on the other team. I was like all world. 
I was so empty inside because what I really needed was community. I really needed was someone to reach out to me and pour love inside of me. So as we come today for communion, and we here at Livingstone, we practice an open communion. Whether you're here for the very first time, or whether you come every week, come at this time. But come with, come with, come with a purpose. Come with a purpose that I'm going to stand in the midst of whatever's going on with somebody else. The anxieties that we struggle with, I struggle with anxieties also. I stay on, I, my house is on a 180 degrees up down my driveway. And a couple of times, my foot slipped off that gas pedal. And inadvertently, I hit the gas, flying down the hill. Think what's going on in my mind. But what I learned in that moment was that get thee behind me, Satan. The Lord needs us to put him first, to live for him. So I'm going to have the ushers to come. I'm going to pray for each and every one of you, and please pray for me. Pray for my wife, Deb. Pray for my children. Pray for my girls. Pray for everyone that's in my life, because every day, the first thing that I do when I wake up in the morning, I pray for each and every one that I'm going to interact with, who I'm going to talk to, who I'm going to be with. Let's have the ushers come as we prepare our hearts, prepare your mind, and prepare your soul for this time of communion. Father God, we just thank and just praise you. Praise you, Father, because you've been so good to each one of us, Father. Praise you and thank you for, at, on this date, March 19th, Father, we can come together at the Livingstone Church and commune with you, Father. We know that the word communion, Father, comes from the root word of the community comes from that word, Father. So it's, it's, to me, it's one and the same thing. Let's have community. Let's get together. Let's stand together. Let's rebuke the Satan in every aspect of our lives. Be with me. I'll be with you. Love me as I love you, as Christ has loved each and every one of us. In a strong, powerful, life-saving, life-changing, marvelous name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.